Uh, welcome to another episode of the Love Sport Podcast. I'm Paul, your host. Be joined by John and Pete. We'll do our best to dissect the last week in sports and commiserate on the Aussies losing the impossible to lose test series. This is the Love Sport Podcast. Another Wednesday night, another podcast. Thank you for being on board and uh, holding my hand through the Love Sport podcast. Beautiful to be here, Paul, and good evening to uh, Pete. Oh, it's so good to be able to uh, speak with you guys and quick wash their hands with some dead oil and uh, we're all good. <laughs> we're, we're masking up, we're detailing up, uh, headphones are clean, so we're all ready to go. Guys, we'll start off. Um, cricket. Absolutely sensational win by India, a win for the ages. Um, they didn't just win a test in Brisbane. They won the series in Australia, undermanned. We could say, with the superlatives, we could keep flowing about, but I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you guys uh, there, John, to start with. Uh, first of all, congratulations to India. I think coming to Australia yeah. and beating Australia in, in a test series is one of the tallest orders in world sport. And we're talking mm. about these things that go back, you know, over a century. Um, and it ha- doesn't happen very often. It certainly doesn't happen the way it happened in this series. So I can only take tip my hat off to India, particularly in the last two tests, when under incredible pressure. Um, they were able to see out the, the second two days and I thought they were absolutely magnificent. Uh, I've heard a lot of, um, I've seen and read a lot of funny stuff from fans and, you know, I mean, social media, we've said it's a bit of a cesspit, but uh, now with people moaning about saying, oh, our pitches are now doctored for the BCCI and whatever, it's like, guys, if our pitches were that, that flat and that soft, then tell me how come half of the Indian team got broken arms in the first two tests? Yeah. You know, I mean, I thought they were magnificent. I thought the series was great for cricket. I thought the crowds at the Gabba at the end were embarrassing. Uh, but well, I think there's lots of reasons, things to unpack there, but hats off. And I think Australia's got to have a big, fat rethink on 
on how it, it, it addresses its cricket because they really look like flat track bullies. Mm. Oh, you know, for me, um, well done, India. And I think if you guys have seen any of my social media, I didn't say anything but well done to India because it was just a brilliant effort. Um, I think the – I don't want to attack Tim Payne too much. I mean, he's 36 years of age. He's had a pretty darn good career. But the field positioning just seemed insane. When you're looking to take wickets and then they're protecting runs, you've got to make the decision which you're going to do. Um, the, the reluctance to try something different, I know people might disagree with this, but I thought Rubber Shane could have bowled more overs just for something different. Even put Smith on for a few overs. I mean, I could be wrong there. Maybe he never wants to bowl again, but we just didn't seem to try anything different. Whereas, you know, I think if you're chasing wickets, just do the unexpected, get the fluky wicket. Um, well done to India, but they never looked like going out, I thought, in the last two tests uh, when the game was on the line. I just thought Australia showed very little. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely agree. And I'll actually uh, tip off, you know, chatting to a few friends over in India to find out kind of their perspective on what their thoughts on the the test series was. And a lot of them were basically saying, you know, uh, these players are going to come back and be considered heroes for 2021. And if anything, mm, mm. you know, will be really revered for the whole seat uh, for the rest of the year as, uh, you know, the, the team who did the unthinkable uh, because, you know, as John's mentioned, they had plenty of things to try and overcome. They had plenty of issues along the way. There were plenty of media stories uh, which kind of sidetracked a lot of the, the cricket. And, uh, you know, the fact that they were able to achieve the performance that they did, it's the ideal star for 2021 for this Indian cricket team. And, you know, this is exactly what you mentioned. The Australian team kind of seen as bullies. And the Indian team seen as the heroes. And my dad's not going to like this one, guys. And uh, with my dad and I, uh, he listens to this podcast. So thanks, Gary. Okay, just tune um, out for a split second here, mate. Just tune out for a second, Dad. Or Gaza, as we call you. Um, I can't stand, and people hate me for this, I can't even stand half the Australian players at the moment. I want to get behind a team I enjoy. I just... Maybe it's just me. Maybe I should I, I shouldn't worry about personality. But I want to kind of. I remember the days of enjoying watching the Australians succeed. There's not too many in the team that I actually go, "Wow, he's my favourite cricketer." I couldn't tell you who my favourite cricketer is at all in the Australian team. You don't please don't bag me and say I'm a bandwagon supporter. I've been to many tests when no one's been there. I just don't enjoy watching this team. It's a Sorry, hard Dad. one. It's a hard one. Look, isn't it? Any team that's flustered with long-term success, any country in any sport or any team in any sport that carries that, there's a burden that goes with being the mm. most successful team in, in any given sport. And usually that comes in um, hatred from opposition and a, and a fair degree of fatigue from the fan base. Mm. And you're held up to all these different stands. So, like... You know, people are going to punish the Australian team for not being aggressive enough when the time came during the last two days of both of the uh, third and fourth tests. But then they'll say, oh, well, you know, what Tim Payne was chirping the whole time was being a prick to the opposition. Yeah, he didn't say a word in that last, seemingly that last <laughs> match. I, I no, did want to say I, this, and, and all the field place things and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's plenty of people going to unpack that. But I think something that really needs to be acknowledged is that Pajara's innings on the last day of the deciding test 
when India could draw or win to retain the series, he went out there and he absorbed, he did an old-fashioned testing where he was taking yeah. the ball in his body and yeah. you could see him wearing down the Australian bowlers. He was frustrating the bejesus out of the Australian quicks. And let's be right. There was a lot of people during that before and during that series saying that that could possibly be Australia's greatest ever attack. Well, I don't think it is now, um, given the result. But Pajara really? was the guy who sucked the life out of him. And I thought his innings was incredible. And I thought the decision to give him out was ridiculous. Uh, it was a very mm. poor decision. Mm. But it actually flicked the switch back over and allowed India to attack because... Uh, it brought in, you know, a, a new batsman and a new freedom. But I thought his innings was some of the most outstanding sport I've seen for a long, long time. It was so tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, I, I just cannot believe um, how well India stood up on those final days. The pitches, the pitches were varying in bounce. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of things that people can say they want about the pitches, but both teams had to play on it. And who won that test? A team yeah. won it. So and India, India so team, what, all yeah. the tosses. India lost all the tosses and had to bat last all the time, which historically tells you they're screwed. Well, and, look, huge pop. Let's be honest. Huge population that lives for the sport and absolutely lives for it. We we know the uh, some of the commentary that Indian supporters have given back to Australians. It's it's kind of funny because. We haven't been able to take that. And, and this is why I always find when we play England that the English crowds get under Australian skin because I think we've lost our sense of humour as a country. And so like, when the Indians are getting stuck into us, people are going back with racist stuff, right? Good on the Indians. Don't even read the social media if it's going to upset you. Well done, India. Congratulations. You were the better team in the series and you deserve the win. And you know, good test cricket, there's nothing compares, does it? I think the final thing on that is... You can have all the T20s, the 50-over matches, but these are the ones you remember for your lifetime. Yeah, and as you say, you, you, you kind of lose the concept of having jokes and, you know, the, the sledge that we were talking about last week and instead it just becomes passive-aggressive attacks or, you know, a bit more abusive than that. And that's exactly what you are talking about before, about the Australian team being seen as bullies in plenty of aspects. So this is where we need to kind of bring back the, the larrikin attitude and the positivity and, you know, the bit of a laugh about what goes right, what goes wrong and what's the next moment rather than trying to dish something out and then feeling attacked if it doesn't go right. Do, do you think as well, guys, do you think that the team doesn't look like they're having fun? Because the Indians looked like they were enjoying each other's company. They were actually embracing um, playing away, being seen as underdogs. And I think the Australians' pressure, they didn't seem to um, have the fun that you should be having, you know, whether yeah. you're a professional or not, when you're playing sport. They were playing with house money, man. They, they, yeah. they had nothing to lose. And, yep. you know, if you're that classic underdog like they were and it's starting, it's real. Look, you can feel the, you can you can feel everything change in that Brisbane Test match. Yeah. You could just feel the energy, and you could feel it being drained from the Australian attack, and you could feel it going straight to the Indian, um, uh, not allowed to say batsman anymore, batters, um, and and it was incredible. I think that 
Yeah, mate, look, who's having fun when you're getting, losing series you should be winning? Yeah, no, I don't deny that, but just felt like the whole series, there was a, you know what I mean? There was, I, just, I just saw two teams, one team that um, looked like they were playing for each other and another team that looked like they were playing for themselves. That's just yeah. what it seemed to me. The other thing, I mean, look, that goes with that is this is where it's pretty hard. I, this is what happens when you get beaten. Um, people don't like it if their team looks like it's not taking things seriously either, especially if they're going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right there. So, any, you know, any final word? Any, oh, I know, I know. I just, uh, you know, I suppose we're living in a time where it just seems that less people are having fun and we'll come on to that with... Uh, the next section, if I can, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. We want to talk about people who are coming across as brats. Bit of tennis quarantine for the Australian Open. And, um... <laughs> oh, my gosh, please. This is the best topic to talk about in terms of brats and horrific oh, attitudes. This is so good. Lead us away. You, you, you can start there, please. Oh, mate. Can, can we just explore the aspect of elite athletes who have come across have been told prior to their arrival exactly what will be going on, that they would be told that they were going into quarantine for two weeks, that if you arrived early, you would get extra time to be able to do some training sessions. But instead, a number of elite athletes decided to arrive later so that that way they would only have seven days before potentially their first match. So they knew exactly what they were getting into. Now, anyone who goes out in the first round is guaranteed $100,000 plus their 14 days quarantine already paid for them, plus their three meals a day, plus $100 of food delivered to them if they want it. So they've already so far in front of everyone and yet they've still got the hide to act this way. I understand you're a professional athlete and you, and you think that you should be higher than anyone else. But you have to have some kind of humility to understand that if the rules are provided to you beforehand, that you actually read the rules and understand what's ahead. Pete, I can't believe what you said. I actually had a list here for you. Hotel paid for, tick. Flights first class paid for, tick. Three meals a day paid for by the, the five-star uh, hotel, tick. $100 extra given to them per day for extra food they want. Tick. $100,000 if you lose in the first round. Tick. Everything you've just mentioned is the points I was going to make. Oh, my God. What a bunch of losers. Don't you think, were you talking about um, how you don't root for people in the Australian cricket team and in the Australian vernacular, that's probably a, a poor choice of words, but I know it's a very American saying, but you get the... Um, <laughs> The tennis players. I mean, one of the reasons I hate that sport is that I have literally no connection to anybody who's involved. I, I don't see myself or anything about me reflected in the people yeah. playing that sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't stand it. Like, these days, the only thing that would move me an inch to watch tennis is the fact that I think Nick Kyrgios is actually – becoming a bit more of the every guy in the street in Australia type dude. <laughs> and and if he and if he can do that, then I think he'll he'll move mountains with the crowds because everyone will be on it is pretty much there now. I mean, I can't imagine Bernard Tomic is going to be able to do that. Um, he's the opposite no. of, of the every guy. But I did um, 
Jeez, I really felt for his, his missus there. With yeah, it's a, it's, but is, yeah, it's isn't Nick Kyrgios exactly what we're talking about in terms of like what the personification of Australian sport in terms of originally seen as this egotistical like person who doesn't really care a whole lot but still gets results on a consistent basis and now he's seen as kind of a voice of reason in different aspects because he's willing to actually just say exactly what's on the mind of everyone else, but he still gets results. And so, you know, from a holistic point of view of sport, Nick uh, Nick Kyrgios is actually, you know, the icon of who we should be really looking to at the moment and saying, okay, he's willing to have a laugh about what's going on. He's willing to speak his mind. He's still putting in the hard work no matter what's going on. And you know what? He's still actually pretty determined to try and get out there and make sure he gets a result. Yeah, I think he's oh, awesome. And, and that's, I, I think that it's, it's brilliant. It's, he's literally resurrected himself in the eyes of Australian public through doing nothing more than a couple of tweets that he sent out. But also he did that but, fundraise but, with the bushfires. So I think it's brilliant. But, but he, he actually always has been that guy. Um, whether Australians have liked it or not, he's always said what he felt, you know, and he, he has bagged players in the past. And I don't know, he's fun. And tennis has lost a lot of that, you know. Um, he's a classic example of what happens, Paul, when football and every other sport with people go, oh, my God, I wish we had the characters back. And as soon as someone's a character, it's like, that guy's yep. a tweet. You've got to shut him up. Yep, exactly. I suppose... I, I suppose you're going to put down the. Um, I suppose you put down one day. We'll put down the parameters of what we call arrogant, right? I think um, you know we gave an example of that Indian who you know there was racial allegations against um, you know supporters in the crowd the other day. One of the best ways he could have countered that, and the Aussies would have got on his side if he had turned around and clapped or done something. I'm not defending racism. I'm just talking about the stuff we've seen in the past. You know, I've been at games where we've abused. Um, members of the English team and they've turned around and said something funny or given us a clap and that you end up supporting that English player. Does that make, you know what I mean? I'm not condoning racism. I'm just saying there are ways that you can get crowds and people on side. Um, I don't know. Tennis, you're right, John. I'm a massive tennis fan and I couldn't care if the Australian Open went ahead whatsoever. Um, And I lost a lot of my passion when the court's, We've said it before in this podcast, when the courts stopped being different to each other. The Australian Open was a fast grass court years ago. And, you know, Wimbledon was the, the lush we had green grass where you had to come in and serve volley. And the US Open was completely different as a hard court to the French Open. That's realistically gone now, besides the French Open. And even the clay courts have sped up. So, you know, tennis is fast losing any of its uh, favour that's had in the past. Well, Percy, I don't know about you guys, but I am incredibly sorry for anyone who is staying in the hotels in the same location as any of these tennis players in quarantine. If anyone has seen any of the videos of the players where they've set up, you know, bouncing a tennis ball against the glass window. I'm going to stop you for a sec, mate. going to stop you for a second. I think they're in their room next door. Just wait a second. That's the one. Yep. Yep. That's the one. (laughs) It's brilliant. Yeah. There was, uh, there was one player who had his mattress up against the door to try and deaden the sound. Uh, it's yep. just, I get it. You're an elite athlete and you, and you get the window of opportunity to do some training. There are plenty of footballers who I personally know who have gone through their 14-day quarantines, not just once, not twice, but three times in different states for different reasons. Yep. And you know what? They've got through it. 
and these are footballers who actually travel kilometers with a ball at their feet rather than a tennis racket and do short, sharp movements. But it's just, yeah. Well, we we dropped off a uh, we dropped off one of our um, stepdaughter's um, long term friends. You know, they've been friends for many many years. Dropped her at an airport today, and then she had a seven hour wait because flights were delayed. And she knew she was going back to quarantine for two weeks. So there's no surprises. I didn't hear her whinge about it. She said, yep, I made the choice to come up here and I know I have to go back in quarantine. So if a 13 or 14 year old can do that, surely a professional tennis player who already knew what was happening can just suck it up. I thought um, it was it whatever. was pretty exciting to see Novak Djokovic telling, you know, the Australian government where it's at when it comes to handling of coronavirus. Yep. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was well done. I, I, I think we can leave it on this note. Djokovic is a tool. Uh, that was the official quote from Nick Kurios. I think that, uh, that pretty much <laughs> sums up a lot of people's feelings about tennis players right now. I'm going to save you, uh, save you John, especially because, you, you know, tennis not being your number one thing. Holy dooly, have we got some NFL coming up this weekend. Tampa versus your boys, Green Bay, and uh, Bills versus Chiefs in the AFC. Thoughts about the uh, weekend of uh, NFL? Uh, well, the weekend of NFL, um, the divisional round was fantastic. I mean, I particularly enjoyed, and I really do believe that I've tried not to talk just about Green Bay when we've spoken. No, but you've done well. I absolutely just think our defense is on, our, de- our offense is on fire. Aaron Rodgers is playing at an incredibly high level as a quarterback. Um, yeah. And but I also think that our defense, halfway through the year, people were calling for. Mike Petton to be sacked. That defense is rounded into a pretty useful unit. And it's going to be an amazing um, game watching Tom Brady lead his Tampa Bay Buccaneers into Lambeau. I actually think that's going to be like a dream come true for Tom Brady because Lambeau Field's the heart and soul football ground of the NFL. And he would never have got the opportunity to play any of his one million um, championship games at Lambeau, so he switched conferences and now he's there and hopefully we can uh, do the business and slay that dragon. On the other side of the draw, Pat Mahomes went down with a concussion. I thought that was probably the best part of the weekend. I'm not sure if uh, anyone else saw it, but um, the end, the last quarter of the Browns-Chiefs um, game was just incredible, especially once Mahomes went down. Really yeah. felt the Browns had a chance to find their way into a championship game, but Kansas City proved that it's a team game. Even without Mahomes there, Chad Henney, who's an old journeyman quarterback, quite old now, taking his first meaningful snaps for a long time. He might have ran, even played for my fins at one stage, mate. He did, and he ran one of the most ballsiest runs. I, I, I still can't believe that the Browns backed off, but to get to 13 yards and then dive head first to get that first down. Yeah. Told away the game, I thought, was an absolute highlight. And, of course, uh, say no more, but Pete's Bills, with one of the plays of the year, the 101-yard interception of Lamar Jackson, which just broke that oh. game. And everything about that game was just awesome. Some people said it was a bit here or there, but, one, the uniform matchup was to die for. <laughs> Bills and, the Bills and the Ravens, that outfits in Orchard Park, just looked phenomenal. Um, and I'm still holding to my Bills Packers Super Bowl prediction. Oh, I hope for our yeah, sake. And you've, it's the white one. 
you did that uh you did that a long way out um i really loved um after the new orleans tampa game um there's a lot of footage that's gone around and i know winners are grinners and so forth but the respect between breeze and brady i think they must have spent 15 20 minutes on the ground afterwards um, they'd come back out after the locker rooms and Brady was throwing passes to Breeze's sons, if you saw that. Yeah, it was nice. And Drew Breeze has been a, a great player. I hope he's finished now because he looks finished. I was really hoping yeah. that, that the Saints were going to make it into the championship game because I just think that Drew Breeze's arm might have actually fallen off on the day and just been on the ground. You know, like when a, a lizard loses its tail, just sort of flapping around. I think that's where well, he is after that. I think it was on the ground. But uh, Actually, the most amazing play by, by New Orleans was when uh, Breeze was off and um, they went for the Hail Mary pass down the field. That was probably uh, New Orleans' best play of the day and Breeze wasn't on the field. I was surprised that Jameis Winston didn't actually come in in the last quarter. But then, yeah, you know, so was Breeze I. is the, the spirit and the embodiment of the New Orleans Saints. He's made them relevant. For people who don't know, they were one of the saddest franchises in the NFL before he got there. So, Absolutely. Um, well done to him. Hats off. And I'm really pumped for the week. I'm really scared, you know. That feeling you've got, and I don't get it much of yeah. anymore, but that feeling when you're just in, a, in the touching distance of, the, of, of, of being the team. We've been there or thereabouts, and I, I just really want my Packers to get through. Oh, I'm nervous. I've got to... I've got to say, I, I actually do. You know, I'm a Richmond man. I've actually had that the last three or four years. And as much as you've had the success afterwards, at the time, you don't know you're getting through. And so I, I know I know where you're coming from there. And the Bills Chiefs, look, it's all going to come down to, if Mahomes doesn't play, the Bills are going to win this in a canner. Well, they're Pete's team. Pete, what do you reckon, man? How you feel? <laughs> oh, well, uh, look, I was basically following along with the, uh, the Bills game basically via just Google updates, admittedly, because I didn't get the chance to be able to watch it live. So, you know, a slower start to the to the first quarter, you know, I feel like mm. everything really started. Third quarter, fourth quarter is when things really got into overdrive against the Ravens. Um, Bills just basically just went into second gear, third gear, fourth gear, and just basically just cruised uh, towards the end at times. The Ravens didn't really have a whole lot to really answer for. After pretty much the second quarter, it looked like they were quite quiet. Um, and as you mentioned, that intercept, 104-yard touchdown, just sensational viewing. Now, in terms of how we go against uh, the next opponent and, you know, trying to get towards John's ultimate dream of uh, a Packers-Bills Super Bowl, it's definitely on the cards. It's definitely a potential. It's, it's definitely uh, a window of opportunity to see... Uh, if the Bills are going to be the team that you're talking them up to be and that there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of whispers floating around, uh, especially through Twitter communities, especially through Reddit of this could actually be exactly what you're mentioning, the start of something special for the Bills. This could actually be the rise of, uh, of this team. So, you know, it's definitely within the cards. And some really exciting news is actually the fact that they've already started to announce some of the uh, people will be refereeing during that Super Bowl fixture. And it seems that uh, the female NFL ref, uh, her name, yep. I've slipped my mind, but uh, it looks like she's been uh, given a, an opportunity to join the, uh, the refs on the field. And that's a good thing because she was making some big calls on the on the weekend. I think she was uh, 
She was in one of the games on the weekend. It might have been the final one. She was in the Tampa um, New Orleans game. And um, yeah, and I thought I think she was good. Yeah, and she she, she did. She could have deferred to some of the other refs, and she didn't. She made the calls, mm. um, and I think that's what you should do. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It, it takes guts in those early times to make those calls, and she did make the calls, and, and she was right. So she deserves to be there. She, she's she got there on her merits, and let's hope she does well. Um, boys, your picks for the, the game. I, re- I This is the hardest two games, I reckon, in years to try and pick. Um I think Green Bay is a better team than Tampa all round. I think I'm going to go Green Bay there. What about you guys? Obviously, John, you're going to go Green Bay. Well, I have to. See, this time last year, I didn't feel confident at all. We were going to the San Francisco game, mm. and I, th- I thought we were going to get gut-punched, and we got gut-punched. Um, you know, we weren't at that level. We had the results, but we didn't have, you know, just that eye test wouldn't work. And I think with this game, if you really look closely at what happened in the in the Buccaneers-Saints game, um, Drew Brees in the second half turned the ball over three times. Well, he didn't. He he had two two pretty ordinary intercepts and a terrible fumble by Jared Cook. Uh, and they scored their points off those three turnovers. Aaron Rodgers has only been turned over four times. It might be five times with four interceptions on the whole season. So yeah. the, there's not yeah. much coming their way that way. Um, and I really think that Green Bay's defense holds up good. And the other thing is that they're coming from Tampa. It's one of the warmest places in America. And it's going to be cold as at Lambeau Field. So, well, they do have a quarterback who's going to be used to cold conditions. Though. Yeah, but the rest of the team, Tampa, not, man. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong there. So, um, I'll take us in that. And in the Bills game, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, well, we're going to get to that. So, we'll get to that in a moment. Pete, your, uh, your choice there, Tampa Green Bay? Uh, it's got to be uh, the Packers, my friend. So just before we go to the Bills-Chiefs game, it hasn't been as spoken about as much as what you would expect. But if Brady gets through, he the, the talk of the Belichick-Brady, and we might have to come to that next week, the talk of the Belichick-Brady combination, Brady has the opportunity to win a Super Bowl without Belichick. And I don't know anyone who could say that he's not the GOAT after that. I mean, if he's not already, you'd have to say he's the GOAT if he won a Super Bowl without Belichick. Well, I don't think it's really a discussion, but I, I also think that, that 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 kind of I hate that stuff in America when they're like, oh, was it more Brady? Was it? You know what? They worked yeah, together. Yeah. They were joined they for twenty years. It's it's oh, he hasn't won without Brady. It's like, well, you know what? Like, lots of people don't win in different situations. They work well together. Don't forget, he's hand picked the team yep. he's gone to. The team he went to, oh, definitely. The offense he walked into. Jameis Winston last year had 35 touchdowns and 35 interceptions. They're loaded. Yeah. They're absolutely loaded. So, yeah, whatever. He's the best ever. So, And where, where's, the, where's the Super Bowl being played Tampa. as well? They would be the first team. Uh, I'm probably not sure from right here. Would they be the first team ever to be playing yeah. at their home ground in a Super Bowl? They'd be the first ones to do it. Uh, next game. Oh, geez. Bills and Chiefs. Lead us off, boys. I'll leave this and I'll leave Pete to do the coup de grace on this. I am i can't get out of my mind how much that I think the Bills have been the best team in the comp for about the last 10 weeks. Uh, I mm. think they've got a, a great quarterback. Um, and if they didn't have that, I would say they have no chance. 
I think they've got a defence that can stand up. I think you have to say they've got a chance of beating the uh, Chiefs, whether Mahomes is there or not. Um, mm. And I'm going to go with more with my... I just really want to see the Bills get to the Super Bowl. We saw the Chiefs last year. It was awesome. You know, I'm not, I don't really like dynasties. I'm not into over and over again. I, um, I do love the idea of a new power moving through, a new dynamic. You know Mahomes will get there again in the future. Uh, the Bills be a nice story for me. I'm going to tip the Bills in what will be an upset. I do think, though, they're going to do it. I actually think that they might actually do it by more than a touchdown margin. I think they're going to actually run them over. Pete, you're, uh, do we have to ask yeah, I basically have to tip the Bills, don't I? Because, you know, they've had their back against the wall at times and they keep seeming to overcome things. And, you know, no matter what challenge kind of gets put in front of them at the moment, they just seem to be able to have the mental fortitude to really just overcome it and find answers to all of the problems that they come up against. So, you know, it, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, and... Again, this could be the window of opportunity to see the Bills progress. I think the I'm going to go against you guys. Um, I think the Chiefs are going to win it comfortably. I think that uh, the Bills might get a bit overawed. Pat Mahomes will get on top early. And unfortunately, I don't think the Bills will be there. Um, but hey, I know nothing about football. Who knows? It's probably going to be a Tampa Bay um, Bills uh, Super Bowl. Uh, just to annoy John there. But you were talking about the one thing you said, John, before about not wanting the same people to be there. I think some people might be thinking about that, that about Green Bay as well. We haven't been to the Super Bowl for 10 years. But people still have their whole thought of Green Bay being that dynasty team. And it's funny because they haven't been there for 10 years. So I uh, just want to let you know, guys know, this is the end of Section 1. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking uh, football and finishing off the pod with um, football from Europe and also closer to home. 73rd minute mark. Right now, Brisbane are leading Newcastle 2-1. And uh, go the Brizzy boys. That's the end of part one. By the response of the players on the pitch, notably the taker and the goalkeeper, that was close. Well, his reaction, I think, says it all. And that um, possession is, is remaining... A strong in Liverpool's favour. Can they do something with it? Firmino. Salah might. He still might. It's a corner. Well, he squeezed one in, but it was very difficult because of the Manchester United legs. Sport podcast. And uh, as we said, we're going to talk a bit of football. We're going to start with the A-League this week. And I don't want to put down our comp because like Pete and like John, we've, we've followed our local teams. But I just want the teams to pass the ball forward quickly. I know I'm not a tactician. I'm not the coach you are, uh, Pete, but it just feels like even when they do pass the ball, they're passing the ball slowly and they're just not looking to get the ball forward at the first opportunity. Um, Your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, look, for me personally, I think that it comes down to it's a mental thing. It's a bit of bravery with the ball and working out what decisions you want to make as quickly as possible. And you can see that plenty of the teams across the, across the air league is kind of a generic thing, but also across the W league at times that there's a, a lack of willingness to really just play penetrating passes, to look forward as quickly as possible, to try and um, break some lines and to create something. 
And instead, there's there's a lot of safe football of going around teams. And if you can't go forward, you just stop, go backwards, cycle, get out the other side. And it's quite lethargic at times. Um, and it, it is, you know, it isn't the most engaging football at times. But to be to be blunt, it's also the best of what we've got uh, at the moment. So is it yeah. a lack of tr- is it a lack of trust in? Each other, you know, there's a lot of turnover in the A-League. You know, there's been a lot of downtimes and seasons um, obviously being disjointed, not just because of COVID, but not deciding when they want to play. It feels like there's a lack of trust between teammates. You know, they go to pass the ball forward and they look backwards. Yeah, but you, get criticized, just... you get criticised if you're playing balls through trying to trying to play, you know, someone through and mm. it just you, you turn possession over, you get criticised. So... It's it's not an easy ball to play. Yeah, exactly right. Days, it, yeah, it, it comes it, it comes down to uh, it's not so much trust. It's more about whatever the the principles of play are in motion from each of the coaches. So you know, mm. some coaches are going to be saying, "Look, we're going to play a set way. We're going to play a mid block. We're we're going to try and." play a counter-attacking style of football. So we have to sit deep. We have to try and wait, be patient, and then we attack as fast as we can when we need to. And it, it comes down to those principles of attack, really, and principles of defense. And you can see that it's not so much trust. It's kind of players are being restrained. And mm. for me personally, I find that the most exciting times of football are when players kind of just go off script and do things as as exciting as possible. Now we can think about it as, you know, last season Sheffield United playing their three, five, two and off script, they've had their overlapping fullbacks who wanted to create something magical. You can think of it as your Jose Mourinho's Tottenham side who, you know, the way that he plays his football is purely principle based. It's not saying, we're going to play out from the back and do this. We're going to do a combination play through the middle and it has to be this formation. It has to be this passing pattern. There is innovation and there is freedom to express themselves and the players feel that they're willing to take the chances. And mm. and, and you can see from plenty of the coaches on the sideline that if something doesn't if – if the pass doesn't go exactly how they want it to, you can see it on the faces of the coaches where I, I feel like Ante Juric in the Sydney FCW league side, he's the uh, easiest person to really show exactly what's going on. If the pass doesn't go exactly how he's patterned the play to go, <laughs> he just turns around and rubs his forehead in distaste. Yeah, And he yep. doesn't try and hide it. Um, Warren Moon at Brisbane Raw does a similar thing whereby he doesn't really hide his disappointment in a player's decision. And he doesn't really allow for that creativity, that free choice for the players. And the, and the fact is, the players are the one who are out there actually playing the game, not the coaches. So at some yeah. point, you've got to hand over the creativity and say to the guys on the field, here's the problem, you go solve it. And if it works, well done. And if it doesn't work, I'll give you some ideas on how you can solve it differently. No, that's that's a really good point. I just think from a fan's point of view, we're, I'm not talking about standard of the players. We know that the, um, you know, the standard's not up to the, you know, the bigger leagues around the world. We all know that, but you still want to see a certain, you know, style of play. And I see that more in my local football 
um, that I, I'm enjoying my local football more than I'm enjoying the A-League. So, well, it's, it's a good up the top there. You know, Brisbane Roar get a win today. You've got teams like Central Coast, Brisbane Roar, uh, those kind of teams in the A-League up the top. And that's a good thing for the competition as well. Uh, anything further you guys want to add about the A-League at the moment? Well, I think Pete's point is brilliant. And I think it's it just goes to the heart of all sport is that is, is, is if you're given the freedom to play by the people in charge, then the sky's the limit. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, um, we've seen great teams, great players. Can you imagine a guy like Pirlo being constrained in a system like what Pete's talking about there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean th- these are the players that people want to see. I, I think it would be a little bit like um, Ian Chappell, who spoke at the weekend, about, you know, coaches in cricket trying to tell him as the captain what to do. Yeah. So, no, you're not telling me what I'm doing. We're doing it the way we do it. And I think, you know, I actually think football is one of the the last great sports where hopefully the, the coaches can't constrain you too much. But, gee, it certainly happened. Well, guys, we're only uh, nine hours or eight and a bit hours away from a game I can't believe I'm excited about turning to the Premier League. Uh, my Aston Villa return after 15 days of not playing football to take on a team that could be top of the ladder tomorrow or close to the top of the ladder in Manchester City. And for the first time in years, I'm actually going into a game like this extremely excited. So temper my, temper my excitement, boys, and uh, smash me down. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's look at Manchester City then. They're probably the informed team in the entire league who Pep Guardiola has been forced to innovate their side and been forced to kind of bring into a different style of play than what he's previously wanted to uh, with the likes of Barcelona and Bayern Munich and his early days with Manchester City as well. So instead, this season, they're probably playing their best and most attractive football, even though results might suggest that they're not as consistent as the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, or even Tottenham at the moment, or even Leicester City. So you have to put that into account. Uh, You you look at someone like John Stones, who has almost become a new signing for Manchester City with the energy that he's bringing from a central defensive point of view. Uh, You've got probably the most creative footballer in England at the moment. Not Jack Grealish. I'm actually going to say it's Phil Foden in that Manchester City lineup. And if the likes of Phil Foden was not in a starting lineup for England, if a team was being selected tomorrow, I just don't know. You, you, for me personally, I, I can't see past some of these players. And this is still a Manchester City who is without the likes of Sergio Aguero. Yeah, it's pretty pretty ordinary player. Um, Bang average. Aguero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how much are we going to lose by tomorrow, boys? <laughs> oh, look, I won't say the floodgates will open. I think it will still be quite a close contention. Uh, but you know what? I, I wouldn't be too surprised if we do see a few goals hit the back of the net. So, I will tip it as a 2-1 victory for City. Put me out of my misery, John. Oh, speaking of floodgates, I mean, they have opened at various times this year in games, and even Villa's opened them on big time on some big names. Um, you know, what Pete says there about City sounds pretty good to me, but uh, I think one thing you can always rest assured of, Paul, is that in this, this year, um, 
you're never going to fall too far behind or in front. I wish we'd had 15 days off. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because our 15 days has been diabolical. Um, so good luck, but yeah, City will win the game. So we have a five, you could put more teams in there, some um, brilliant results. We saw, uh, obviously, um, Leicester beat Chelsea, and I thought they beat them really well. I, I thought they were definitely the better team. Uh, and a really boring Manchester Liverpool nil all draw. And I think one of you, or if not both of you, tipped a draw in that. I th- actually, the draw in that game. Oh. No, I think I tipped Liverpool to win because I thought they were going to restamp their authority. I, I yeah, think... well, this game just kind of fizzed out. This game definitely fizzed out and didn't really hit the dizzying heights that we kind of expected it to at times. And again, this kind of looked like it was a a Manchester United who played it safe at times. And it was one of those games that Oligon Solskjaer walked into the change room before the game, shook his uh, magic eight ball and made his decision to say, oh, okay, let's go with Rashford on the left, Pogba on the right-hand side of wide midfield for some reason rather than playing through the middle, which would make sense. Uh, let's go with Martial up top and uh, let's just kind of basically have long-range hits as much as possible. Uh, you know, your star player was probably Fred who was playing as that holding midfield alongside mm. Scott McTominay. Okay, Fred's been a key player for the likes of Manchester United for a little while, but, geez, uh, when you're holding midfielder as your key player in a fizzing nil-nil draw, uh, it doesn't really add to a lot of excitement. And Liverpool didn't play it any safer, for goodness sake. The the centre-back pair uh, partnership of Fabinho and Jordan Henderson, uh, at least we got to see the likes of Jun and uh, Shakiri, yep. uh, and that added some creative spice. Uh, that did actually make things quite interesting from a Liverpool perspective. I also. After sitting through that game, all I could think of was, God, I hope Leicester win the title. <laughs> exactly right, and especially after that, uh, especially after that Leicester Chelsea fixture this morning. Um, and if anyone has not seen Madison's post-game interview with Sky Sports, please definitely go check it out. Within it's a four-minute interview that he did, and. He, he, he sounds like he's about to become a, a coach. Yep. He knows the game so well. He, he respects it so well. He knows what Brendan Rodgers wants to, to achieve with the team. He understands what everyone's role is within that lineup. He, he's, he took on board the criticism from um, commentators like Jamie Carragher, who said he's not getting enough goals. And Jamie Madison, he noticed it and, and he basically just went, I'm going to start scoring some goals. So he's got five goals in seven games. And now he's really starting to hit his form. And it's exactly what Leicester are here to do in this league is spice things up, create a bit of interest. And he was unlucky not to score one or two more this morning. And his goal celebration, when he was basically, the way he was talking to the camera and and then really showing his name, I thought was real. I really enjoyed that. Um, he just looked like he was up for it today and you could have had two or three. Um, so, you know, Chelsea, you spend a lot of money and everyone has expects you're going to automatically win everything and it's going to take them another year because that team does not look like it's gelling whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. What, no, do, you reckon, no, what do you reckon, John? How much longer is Frank going to be in the job? Well, they're exactly where... where they're exactly in... The, in their position in the ladder as to where they should be. I think, you know, that old thing about the mm. ladder doesn't really lie. They're exactly where they are. Well, 
I think Frank will get a fair bit of rope because yep. he's a favoured son. Um, but getting a lot of rope at Chelsea isn't nearly always that very much, is it? I think the only thing that would keep him there is that he is Frank Lampard yeah. Jr. Yep. But he can, like I said, like I said a couple of weeks uh, last week, is that you've only got to get on a run of five good results and you're right back in it. I'm I just think they've, um, I think they might have played 19 games now and just with COVID, with um, fixtures backing up and so forth, it's going to be hard for them to make up uh, points. You could easily see Chelsea missing out on a European spot. Um, you've got Manchester City, just they win tomorrow against Villa, which you would expect. They're going to be one point off the top. Liverpool are right there, not playing well at the moment. They'll get troops back. Tottenham, that one week they look world beaters, and the next, they look wife beaters. Um, they're still in the mix. And Leicester, man, imagine. Jeez, that's a that's terrible pretty, that's pretty bad one. But um, Leicester, just imagine being a Leicester fan. No one can call you a bandwagon supporter. You've won a title no one expected. <laughs> and you could win it. You could win one in unbelievable conditions again. If they, I was trying to work out who the, who, who the parallel is for them in football history. Because mm. if they win a second one, uh, and I thought, oh, I thought, oh, Napoli won the Serie A twice, but they, they yeah. had Maradona. Uh, for them to to do that, to, to they're looking at it, and given the way that you know nothing's really, no one's asserting any dominance whatsoever. Leicester can get on a good run; they might be out of sight in five it's weeks. Just, yeah. Well, the comparison that I tried to uh, consider was actually Nottingham Forest winning the Champions League two years mm. in a row. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's something that no one really expected and they were able to kind of back things that's up. That's a fantastic comparison, actually. That's that's really good. Uh, well, that is a good one. But they did that with the one manager and he was one of the greatest managers of all time. You've got to give Brendan Rodgers his dues. I mean, wouldn't it be funny? Imagine if he couldn't win the title with Liverpool, but he wins it at Leicester. Uh, look, and, and to put even to put this morning in context as well, I think that was his 16th game uh, against Chelsea. I think it had seven draws, eight losses. That was his first win ever against Chelsea uh, in 16 attempts. So, uh, point, and, and that's... Wow. And I think... Yeah, the other thing about it was that when he got that job, no, they, they weren't, weren't going that great. They were actually, they, I think they, how many games did they lose last year? They had a really bad second half of the season and a lot of people thought that was going to be the norm for them. So he's really done well and so is the team to embrace him as their manager. It was pretty much straight after the, the restart of the Premier League uh, after their COVID uh, mm. lockdown. And I think it was seven or eight games in a row that they ended up losing. And you, you could kind of, suggest that the wheels were starting to fall off at times. But as soon as the season finished, you could see that Brendan Rodgers pretty much said to his players, okay, you need to have a mental break. Don't think about football for like two weeks and then we'll come back and we'll get ourselves set. We started to steady the ship and that's exactly what he's done. He's brought everyone in and he's basically said, everyone has to compete for their spot. Everyone spots up for grabs every single week. So no one is really safe. And he's created this perfect um, cauldron of competition to use a, a famous US soccer college coach's uh, idea, Anton Dorrance, who, you know, he wants everyone to be incredibly competitive at every moment 
so that no one ever feels safe yeah. or settles. That's it. It's a great call there. Guys, every week we could change who's going to win it. Uh, for me, just with the depth of the squad, and you've already said Aguero not there, I think Manchester City now go to be uh, favourites for the competition in my mind. Um, I don't think you can write Liverpool off. They've got a lot of players who will be coming back in the second half of the season. Um, and I don't think Manchester United can play much better than they, are, they have been over the last couple of months. So down the bottom end, John, do we talk about Newcastle at all? And are they... Are they any chance of slipping into the uh, relegation battle? Or are the teams down the bottom too bad? Well, yes and yes. Okay. Yes, yes and yes. No, I, look, I've seen this movie before. Every Newcastle fan seen this movie before. And anybody who spends any time in the bottom half of the table over a period of time realises that you start to run yeah. through mud. And I'll guarantee you the only reason that we're not in it at the moment is because of the guy who's playing up front. Yeah. And that's it because the and we've got our, our main striker and our goalkeeper and most of the rest of it is just looking just diabolical. I, I, I might have said last week that my school holidays have been an abject disaster for Paul and the Mags. We've had, I've yeah. watched them play nine games. We've drawn two. Unbelievably, one of those was against Liverpool. We've lost seven and gone out of both cups. That's not a fun time. And no, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of talk amongst the fans about Steve Bruce and this, that, and the other. And I'm not an advocate for for sacking coaches at this point. But I tell you what, I, I did watch the game against Arsenal, and you know, you talk about the A League about yeah. passing sideways and backwards. Dear God, that was the only thing we could do. And John Joe Selvey, I saw in the player rankings. In the Chronicle, got given he's a been zero. So pivotal for you, yeah. He was, he was so bad. Um, we couldn't get a corner. We, you know, when watching team, when when Rafa was there, one thing he could rely on was set pieces in yeah. defence and attack. But we can't get the ball over the guy at the you know on the side of the box. And I've I said to you in a text that I feel we're our most vulnerable when we've got a corner ourselves because we always lose the ball. There's a transitional counter-attack and Carl Darlow's exposed and he's picking out the back of the net. I, I can see us very badly getting sucked into this. We've got well, to get the, a result soon. And uh, we've well, got the to good change news the for you, as you just said, is that teams can get on a roll. Because a few weeks ago, we were um, kind of half-joking about you know Arsenal being sucked into a relegation battle and they've taken 13 out of uh, a possible 15 points and looked a completely different team. So there is hope there. And... The teams down the bottom are, they're bad. They're bad. So, I think Aubameyang is a bit like, uh, he, he's a bit like uh, Rooney who just retires. Every time he sees our jersey, he just, <laughs> he's going to score. Um, so, you know, I don't want to, this yeah. podcast about Newcastle United, we've got lots of issues. There's garbage teams down there. I think we're better than that. I honestly think that when you look at some of the players we've got, I, I do believe that losing, been on a nine-game tailspin says that something's yeah. not right in the way we're setting the team up. And I'd like to ask the coach what he thinks because we're so negative. Not been many... Uh... <laughs> 
exactly. And I think right. we're actually the, just what happens when you try and set up in a four-four-two that basically the, the line of engagement is inside your eighteen-yard box. Like it, it's incredibly deep the way that they're playing. It's incredibly negative the way that they're playing. And to be blunt, like the Newcastle mm. fans deserve more, and I feel like the players deserve more when you've got. You know, to maximum up front, you've got some of the most attacking, creative players who, if you give them the license to basically say, get the ball at your feet and go create something the same way that Jack Grealish does, the same way that Phil Foden does, the same way that, you know, Sadio Mane can at a window of opportunity. You give them the freedom and you give them that opportunity to really express themselves. And you know what? Newcastle could be in a completely different setup, but by playing this incredibly negative low block that just it just to be blunt it kind of ruins football because football's meant to be this free expression of 11 people out there kicking a ball around trying to score a goal but instead it seems like Newcastle's the type of team who don't want to go score goals and would be more than happy if every single uh, week they got so, a nil I mean, or we draw. all say how funny football is you know and, and I'm sorry I give too much time to Villa. Apologies to anyone out there who hates Villa. But a year and a bit, less than a year ago, we could have been gone, right? And then you're looking at doing a Sunderland. And we really were looking at that financially going down. We're now beating teams like some players like Sanson uh, coming from, looks like he's going to come from Marseille for $15 million. We're looking at picking up a couple of key defenders for 8 to $10 million. I'm in dreamland, John. So you could be back there, mate. Let's get you a new owner. Let's get all the other clubs to approve it. Well, you know, so you talk about transfer windows and all the news that comes come, is, is the old story. Is like Steve Bruce yeah. is being told to work with getting loans in. You know, so the, the, the lack of ambition, that I, I just, I'm just fearful that somehow or other they're going to try and make money out of Callum Wilson. I guarantee you he's the only reason that well, we're not I'm not, not going to do the typical the Villa thing zone. and say that he chose Newcastle over Villa because who knows what would have happened if he came to Villa. You know what I mean? Like People have a right to choose a big club and Newcastle is a big club. Um, and I don't... You know, I hope I hope you do get a new owner who has ambition and I hope the other clubs don't block it because when you've got Leeds doing well and you've got the Villas and you've got the Newcastles, it's a real Premier League. You know, you're building the depth of big clubs, aren't you? And the atmosphere and um, I think... The English Premier League is so close to being magical again, and and we need Newcastle to become one of those uh, the teams that make it a bit more magical as well. And it's thank you. That's very kind. Well, we're thinking like some of these Premier League teams will sign on with the same deal that some of these A League clubs have just done and get their jerseys part yes. of Fortnite. And, uh, you know, Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers and Melbourne City have all signed on to get their uh, Fortnite skins and outfits. So with any luck, we'll see a few more Premier League and teams might do the same and they might um, become yeah, relevant again. a list of Fortnite teams uh, on – my kids are telling me uh, Manchester City, Juve, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Roma, Seattle, Los Angeles. There's so many teams that now have – John, you're okay with Fortnite, mate? <laughs> no, I'm just listening, man. I don't know what my kids are excited. I, I talk to them about football and they're telling me, Oh my god, you can get Sydney FC. And I'm like, I don't want to hear about Sydney FC on Fortnite, guys. I don't like Fortnite to start with. 
And if Sydney FC is one of the skins, you can be Sydney FC. I'm going to be Celtic and I am going to shoot every one of you. That is the game it is, John. <laughs> Mate, Celtic <laughs> need all the help they can get at the moment, so don't even mention them. No, it's not. Madison, all Brighton, Barnes missed his kick, and Dini gave it a thump and lost the lead. Rogers, but his lead is preserved. Over the top by Albrighton and Madison! These foxes are flying again! Off, uh, guys, anything else besides Fortnite in the uh, week of sport? Um, we won't talk NBA, that's pretty boring until we get to the finals. Major League Baseball's doing their signings. We've talked NFL. Any other sports you want to talk about at the moment? Yeah, I'll give a quick shout out to what's going on over in the W League at the moment. So we've got plenty of uh, excitement and as always, we've got plenty of mishaps along the way, including the likes of uh, the sprinklers going off in the Newcastle Jets fixture as the players are walking onto the field. So that, that added a bit of spice to their fixture against Brisbane Raw, uh, who I'm also tipping to start renaming Brisbane Raw Draw Salona because I've had four games and four draws. <laughs> So, um, you know, good friend of Jake Goodchips, but all for uh, renaming this uh, team at the moment. Uh, we also had the excitement in a Perth Glory fixture where the players started to walk out into the field before the referees were actually able to uh, walk through the tunnel. So that added a bit more excitement to uh, the Perth Glory fixture against Adelaide. Uh, we do have uh, plenty of excitement ahead of round five of the competition with the likes of uh, Canberra against Perth. That, for me, is probably one of the most yeah. interesting matchups. Uh, the Sydney FC team, they've got the week off, whilst Jets will play against Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, and I believe it is a Brisbane against Melbourne City side. That's meant to kick off at 8 p.m. Locations yet to be determined from memory. Uh, and then that way, then we've also got Adelaide against Melbourne Victory in round five of the competition. And uh, things are actually getting really, really interesting at the moment. Obviously, City, after their 6-0 demolition, uh, a, a, well, Victory 6-0 demolition over Melbourne City, in round three, uh, round four, it basically saw uh, this city lineup get a four-three, uh, sorry, a three-two victory over Melbourne Victory. Uh, so, an absolute great turnaround. Round. Great turnaround. Un- unfortunately, that game slightly marred by bottles and cans being thrown on the on the pitch as yeah, well. Yeah, we get to kind of the, uh, um, an official don't... comment from the Victory um, about those fans behind the goal. With any luck. You know, the victory would turn up and actually say those fans have been given either membership bans, stadium bans, potentially even life bans from the field um, because, you know, no one should feel that they are in harm at work. No one should be made to feel unsafe at, at a football ground either. So with any luck, um, victory will step things up. But at the moment, a few days after the incident, they're still yet to actually say anything. Uh, mate, can I go quickly back to draw Salona before we finish? Totally the same concept that we talked about with the A-League before, that the Raw seem to get into positions where they're going to be attacking. They're right there, and they go backwards. It is... I don't think I've ever been as frustrated watching women's football as I was watching the uh, Raw against Newcastle the other day. It, I just... Oh, I wanted to rip any hair out of my head that I had left. Exactly right. 
They, they got the players. They got Gilnick and so forth up forward. Just trust. Just get forward, attack. They just seem to keep going backwards, mate, in the final third. Exactly right. What about yourself there, John? Uh, what else is going on in the world of sport for yourself? Well, I don't know. I sort of I'm back at school, back at school tomorrow, and that brings with it a whole heap of new season of um, of uh, rugby. So I'll be looking forward to that. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, I don't know whether I'm gonna I'm gonna have to prioritise either holy moly, ultimate tag, or yeah, um, yeah. or uh, uh, escape to the country. So I'm gonna go for escape to the country. Mm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the ultimate tag. Because I'm um, trying to chase kids around for the last few years, uh, I know what they're doing. So I'm going to go ultimate tag. What about you, there, Pete? As a as a final show? Well, look, I, I feel like I'm thinking Pete's more of an amazing race guy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> few puzzles, few challenges <laughs> along the way, plenty of obstacles, like a uh, few different missions to try and uh, see who's the fastest to solve. Mate, I'm I'm all for that. Guys, it's been another wonderful podcast. I love the fact that we've got different opinions on sport. Um, we can still stay friends, kind of. Um, but welcome. Oh, sorry. Thank you for another Love, uh, love Sport. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Love Sport podcast. I was Paul, your host. We were joined by John and Sean. You can get me at Paul underscore football on Twitter. John at Lambic Peach and Pete at Pete Novikowski. We're also on the Love Sport podcast uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Join in the conversation, pose some questions. Hey, you might even be a guest. And guess what? We don't hate everything about you.